And that's where the curiosity comes into play, discovering what's the worry, what's really at stake for people. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Once upon a time, we were all kids, and we were all curious. Swiss psychologist, philosopher, and pioneer in cognitive development research, Jean Piaget, did a lot of thinking about our stages of development as kids, with particular attention to my personal favorite, how we all experienced and expressed curiosity. He viewed curiosity as the urge to explain the unexpected, or another way, he viewed curiosity as a function of surprise, that incongruity between expectation and what actually happens. Too little or too much surprise and we aren't curious, we're either bored or overwhelmed, but in that sweet spot, in the middle, we're all about the curiosity. So I knew that, had it in the back of my mind, and when I was researching for today's conversation about conflict resolution, imagine my surprise when I came across someone's working definition of a conflict as a lack of alignment between expectations and experience. How could curiosity and conflict have a common definition? And if it wasn't really that exactly, it's surely some kind of relationship. But what? What role, if any, does curiosity play in resolving conflict? So I'm not the only one thinking about these things, and I turn to our local institutions of higher learning to help me dig into the question. I didn't know this before, but George Mason was the first university in the world to offer graduate degrees in conflict resolution through the School of Conflict Analysis and Resolution. You can find them on the web at scar.gmu.edu, SCAR, kind of an odd acronym, (laughs) but there you go. Surfing around Mason's website, I found the conflict, the Insight Conflict Resolution Program, which sounded especially promising, given my interest. The program was founded in 2011 by Dr. Jamie Price, quote, to forward the practical peacemaking method of Sergeant Shriver and develop the insight approach to conflict analysis and resolution through research and practice. That sounded great, but honestly, I wasn't sure what it meant in practice, which is why I've invited Dr. Megan Price, director of the program, to join me today. So welcome, Megan. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I'm very pleased to have you here and actually delighted to have discovered that Mason has such a robust series of programs on conflict resolution. Tell me a little bit more about that. About Mason in general? Yeah, or or the, the conflict resolution program. Yeah, so our um, focus is largely on bringing together uh theory, research, and practice. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to understand why conflicts happen, how they happen, and most importantly, bringing the practice angle in there to help change damaging kind of patterns of relating that lead to conflict and escalate it. Yeah, yeah. And there are a whole series of these different programs within the school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the Insight Conflict Resolution Program, this was so interesting to me reading about it in terms of its approach sort of asking, what are we doing when we're using our minds to engage and disengage in conflict and and not formulating answers 
for why conflict is happening, but actually generating the questions. Of course, that instantly speaks to me. So tell me about what that actually means in the practice and its its roots. Where's it Where's it come from? Okay, so the the inside approach um, it originated in. Canada, actually, mm-hmm. in Ottawa, with a, a, a master mediator named Dr. Cheryl Picard and her colleague, uh, Dr. Ken Melchin at Carleton, or she's at Carleton and he's at St. Paul University there. Cheryl was particularly successful in her mediations and she was reading all the literature, you know, narrative mediation, um, transformative mediation interest-based. And she was wondering, well, what am I doing, you know, when I'm helping these Uh parties resolve their conflicts? And she saw pieces of what she did in all of these theories, but it was nothing really captured exactly. And so Ken Melchin, he said, Cheryl, I know exactly what you're doing. He's a Lonergan scholar, somebody who's been studying Bernard Lonergan, a um, mid-20th century theologian, philosopher. He said, Cheryl, you're helping people get insights. And she goes, Oh, okay. Like let's let's look at that. Let's figure it out. Right. And so they did a series of project really a, um they analyzed a role played mediation uh-huh. and basically picked out all the pieces that Cheryl herself was doing just kind of intuitively in her own artful practice and um developed the basis for the insight approach. So it takes, I mean, so those two are the pioneers of it, and its roots are really in Bernard Lonergan's cognitional theory. So those of us who aren't necessarily well acquainted with him, tell us tell us a little bit about that foundational work. Okay. Bernard Lonergan, he, um, he, had, he wrote this thousand-page book called Insight, where he paid very close attention to what he was doing when he was using his mind. So he mm. wanted to know, well, what are insights and... Basically, what are insights? <laughs> and so he describes them. It's actually a deceptively big question, isn't it? It, it is. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing when we're using our mind? Because mm-hmm. um, we use our mind all the time, but we don't pay explicit attention to it. Right. You know, we're not right. just accustomed to doing that. And, there, and you know, cognitive psychology and, and all that whole field, neuroscience, you know, they're paying attention to what we're doing with our minds. But... Bernard Lonergan's approach is slightly different. It's a re- it's an interior it's an interiority based kind of reflection. Mm. But it sounds like it's more than just reflection because then it's making choices based on the insights that come from that reflection. Is that right? It's not just getting the insights, but it's right. doing so, something. So with he that. Say, he kind of gave us this map, this explanatory mm-hmm. framework for understanding what we're doing with our minds when we come to know and decide to act. Right. So so that's what it is. And so the insight approach and Jamie Price, who started the Insight Conflict Resolution Program. He kind of expanded and made accessible Bernard Lonergan's writings, which uh-huh. are dense and hard to understand. There, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, and he he came up with a, a, an explanatory, an even more robust explanatory framework that kind of describes how we come to know and and decide to act based on these seven cognitive operations. He kind of picks out uh-huh. uh, um, first. We experience data from the outside world or from, you know, our own imaginings. And we're spontaneously compelled to wonder, Mm -hmm. what is it? 
Mm. And that wondering of what it is, is us engaged in another operation, a subsequent operation called understanding. That's what we call it. And so we generate insights. Well, what was it? Was that um, the door slamming or was it somebody tripping on the stairs? You know, say you heard Mm -hmm. a sound. Mm -hmm. And then spontaneously, well, is it so? Which one is it? And so you're kind of moved to uh, the, the third operation, which is verifying. So then we kind of come to know something we think we right. know. So, oh, that was Janet on the stairs falling up, uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And then we have that, oh, uh, a reaction. Which is a yeah. reaction. And it's usually an affective emotional reaction. Mm. We wonder, um, what does this matter to me or to something I care about uh-huh. or to my kind of world order? You know, how does this matter? And that's valuing. That's us engaging in valuing. And so we react. And then from basically, how does this matter? Oh, um, good. She's always mm-hmm. running up those stairs. Maybe she'll <laughs> learn her lesson. Or, you know, ah, I should. I need to go help her. Right. right? So it, that that projects us into the kind of decision making part of our minds, where we deliberate what we might be able to do about it. Uh, so what can I do is the uh-huh. question that drives uh-huh. that operation. And then from there, what should I do? And that um, drives the sixth operation of consciousness, which is evaluating, mm. which which um, brings us to deciding, will I do it? And then it becomes action in the world. So this is this very fast kind of movement, movement of our minds um, on everything we do. Right, right. Broken down into its incremental pieces. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And so how do you use that in this um, insight conflict resolution approach? I mean, how do you then bring that to your work or conflict in general? It's it's interesting <clears throat> because what we've kind of discovered or identified is that conflict is really a matter of what we do. So of the decisions that we make to act. Um, so we talk about conflict a lot in terms of conflict behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the behaviors, the actions link us back into our own minds and into that whole decision-making process. So back up a minute and actually describe conflict behaviors, because I was interested in this when I was looking at some of your writing and some of the video clips Mm -hmm. um, describing conflict behavior and sort of um, things that we wouldn't necessarily tag that way as the casual observer. So unpack that a little bit. Okay, so conflict behavior... for from an inside approach is anything any kind of fight flight freeze or fawn thing that we do to defend fight fight freeze or fawn okay okay got it okay so <laughs> clearly so this is it. something that I think about with myself well <laughs> a I think it's a great it's a great list I mean fight and flight I think those are pretty so familiar. they're stress based yeah. behaviors yeah. all of them the inside approach suggests that conflict behavior fight flight freeze fawn those stress based things we do to defend against threat are what are exactly that. Um, what we do when we uh, perceive or anticipate some kind of threat to something that matters to us, and it can be a physical, personal threat, but it but the range is actually much broader. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a practical threat. I'm not going to get what I need. It can be a social threat that, you know, some kind of world order isn't aligning properly and I need to work with that. So there's something um, threatening. And so we, in order to deal with that threat, we dis- we decide to defend against it, mm-hmm. right? So we're trying to prevent that from happening. And that's what leads to conflict behaviors. And 
So sometimes the conflict behavior can be freezing. It's like there's we think of that as an absence of behavior, but that's very much a behavior. It is. It? it is. And it contributes to the conflict. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And even fawning, it's kind of it's kind of um that one that one was really interesting to me cuz and I'm still kind of working with it, but you know, say you're getting in trouble, mm-hmm. right? And the threat isn't really the consequence. So I'll just make something up with the child. So I am, you know, storming at my son, for example, with his coat. You know, like, you forgot your coat. (laughs) Oh, that never happens. Never. (laughs) This isn't really real. But, um, you know, and he'll be like, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to drop that on the the ground. You know, please, like, forgive Uh me, you know, because – and it's not really that he's – worried that I'm going to make him put on his coat, but he's he's probably worried about something else, you know, something like he doesn't want to be wrong. Uh You know, it could be this personal threat about, you know, his own sense of self. And so that would be kind of an obsequious fawning. I'm going to tell you exactly what you want to hear because I'm worried about this other thing that is effective, that matters to me in a particular way. Yeah. But we don't know. What's amazing is that we don't know what that is. And that's where the curiosity comes into play discovering what's the worry, what's really at stake for people. Yeah, and often it's not what we think it is. It's so often not what we think it is. (laughs) So how does this approach help address that? Well, because it it, it directs your curiosity towards, okay, there's a threat. What is it? There's a decision to defend. What is that? There's Mm -hmm. a future at stake. There's some kind of dire future. Let's understand what you're imagining. Uh And then Uh when we bring the when we elicit that and bring it to the surface wow all this information becomes available that shifts what we know how we value and then what we do about it so possibilities open up for engaging in a different kind of a way because that curiosity sort of gives you more information to work with is yeah. that a part of it it gives you more information yeah. and it and information that may not have been at you know the awareness level mm. because also in conflict under threat you know, in stress, we don't use our minds well at all. We're reactive, we're constricted, we're biased, Mm -hmm. you know, our Mm -hmm. minds are focused only on the threat and only on preventing it. And everything that we see and all the information around us confirms, you know, what we think we know, and we start to attribute it to other people. And we just get all fuzzy and messed up. And it's not just what we think we know, but you know, our biology plays into it with the cortisol and the adrenaline and we sort of go back to that reptile mind oh absolutely (laughs) we do we do but so but stopping that Uh by asking a question you know or being asked a question you kind of can't help but consider it ah so it's like the pause that refreshes i like that i like that just just stopping to ask or to be asked right either way yeah interesting interesting you're listening to WERA 96.7 FM. This is Choose to be Curious. I'm talking with Megan Price, the director of the Insight Conflict Resolution Program. And we're talking about conflict resolution and kind of curiosity's role in helping to get there. And you all have a series of programs that you're working on that are applying this approach. Talk a little bit about those. The programs that we do apply the Insight framework to conflicts. Mm-hmm. And so we've worked with police, and that's kind of our biggest program. We worked with um, with schools, the school to prison pipeline, and uh, we've worked with 
aid organizations and other organizations to try to understand how their policies and procedures, this is the insight evaluation bit, how their policies and procedures are are working Mm -hmm. and why. Mm -hmm. And what is it that you, let's take the the insight policing one. What is it that you teach the officers to do that makes such a difference? um, What we do is we... We teach officers, we basically teach officers to be able to identify conflict behavior, Mm -hmm. to recognize that conflict behavior is um, a function of this valuing of threat and deciding to defend, and then to use insight questions, targeted strategic insight questions to get curious about, well, what's the threat? What's driving this behavior? Mm -hmm. And what are they defending against? Mm -hmm. Because when officers, particularly in moments that could blow up or become really contentious, when they when they can can get that information out, then they can make the most targeted and precise enforcement decisions. They can take it into account right, um, as right. they do their work. And and that creates the space and the and for the the officer to hear and to listen to the uh-huh. community member. Right. And so the community member, when they're being asked questions, oh, you know, what are you worried about? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, just very uh-huh. basic questions. What do you think is going to happen if I do this or that or if, if you give me your license or not give me your license? Um, then the, the community member has an opportunity to speak and the officer has an opportunity to listen, but the community member feels heard. And then that helps legitimize the whole encounter. Right. Which is Just important. feeling heard is a huge step towards any kind of resolution on yeah. this stuff, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of Abraham Lincoln's line about, I don't like the man, I must get to know him better. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Which I think is sort of the basis of this, right? Is that we, we kind of pack all sorts of assumptions around people or situations. And only when we get to understand them better with curiosity as a way of getting there, do we have that opportunity to sort of go, oh, it's not quite as black and white, you know, cut and dried as I thought. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So are there other, are there techniques, tools, resources that you offer? Somebody's not actually enrolled in Mason, but wants to be able to do more with this. What would you point them to? Oh, you could read things that I've written. <laughs> well, that's always good. So right. we'll, we'll put a couple of, of things that you recommend on the web on the Facebook page okay. for people if they're interested. Yeah, I mean it's it, it it is pretty simple when you kind of under when you can when you kind of step back and and begin to pay attention to what you're doing when you're engaging and disengaging in conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, let's mm-hmm. okay. What's a and that's I think is where I recommend everybody to start under learning and using the inside approach. Okay. When I'm feeling or when you're feeling triggered, mm-hmm. you know, ask yourself, what's at stake for me? You know, what's the threat? What am I worried about? Uh, you know, yeah. and then doing that kind of self-reflection can help you make a better, less reactionary decision yeah. in response. Well, and owning your place in it mm-hmm. also sort of makes space for maybe being a little more generous about somebody else's role in it too, Absolutely. doesn't it? Yeah. 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 And it makes space to be able to um, ask that question later. Okay. I, I can see you're really upset by this, uh-huh. you know, you know, what's upsetting you and what is at stake there? Yeah. You know, yeah. or how is this, what do you imagine is going to happen? I mean, that's a really good insight kind of question. You know, what, what are you seeing? How do you, how are you seeing this play out? That's 
really upsetting to you or that's important to you or that's, you know, of concern. Right, right. Yeah, just sort of stopping to pause to ask the questions, to kind of stop the the snowball effect, I guess. It really stops the momentum, maybe, of the assumptions and the energy that goes into feeling invested (laughs) in the fight. It's really amazing how many assumptions we make Uh all the time. And we have to because our brains are that way, you know, where – pattern recognizers, you know, in order to move, we have to assume a lot, but it gets the better of us, particularly in conflict. So what do you make of this, um, these similar definitions about this lack of alignment between expectation and what's actually happening? That that's a, that's a theory of curiosity and, and maybe one working definition of conflict. Does that resonate for you? Or does that not add up? Oh, yeah. No, I think I think it does. Yes. That, I think that is what conflict is about. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, totally. And understanding, being able to uh, bring to the surface what those expectations are and how they aren't being met or what, you know, um, is important about them. Then the possibilities open for changing the way you respond. Right. Right. Interesting. It's like, Lack of alignment is the way into a conflict, and curiosity is the way out of the yeah. conflict. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I can't stand this, that we're already practically out of time. But um, but you know that one thing that we always do, I always have time for the analogy. I have my big jar of wannabe analogies. You to reach in. <laughs> <laughs> take out a slip. I'm going to take one for myself and one for our audience oh. as well. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. She doesn't look happy. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? You go. <laughs> Okay. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> mine is snails. How is curiosity like? I wish that was mine. <laughs> um, let's see. Curiosity is like a snail because um, it often just sort of inches along. Uh, it can be a little slippery. Um it sometimes needs a protective shell mm, it, to survive. Yeah, yeah. You know that it's um, it's actually a fragile creature, um, and so it has some natural protection around it. So that's how curiosity is like a snail. Oh, that's cool. And uh, can I just say something? I love what you said. How um, it does need that protection because when we're curious. We're vulnerable. Yeah. And it can be really, really uncomfortable to be curious. Yeah. There's power and certainty in projecting that we know, but really, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the power of what you offer through the program, right, is sort of finding a way to trust the situation or trust your tools enough to be curious. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So what do you have? So mine is the Electoral College. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I I did not know that was in there. (laughs) Um, Okay. Curiosity is like the electoral college in that, you know, I don't really, I think it's the anti. (laughs) It's like, I don't know how to answer that one. Uh, Well, go ahead. Say say what you think. It's the anti analogy. I don't know if there's a word for that. but. well, because the the electoral college is is set and determined, and yeah. um, it's <laughs> it's kind of like you know you can't get out you can't get out of it. Um, and what curiosity does is allows you kind of 
gives you those those outlets, the, the, the rivers that bring you from something so bound to something new and and creative. So I love it. I love it. Um, so uh, audience, your word is windshield. And I'm going to give you a pass here. You can do either analogy or you can do an anti-analogy. I think we have a new, I think we have a new feature here. Um, so send us your windshield analogy or anti-analogy, hashtag analogy. Well, Megan, this has been great. Thank you Thank so you, much. Thank you so much. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Stick around. Wendy Mann is up next with the Story Hour. And it's the holidays. You probably have some time at home. I hope you listen to other great shows here on WERA. You know, choose to be curious. Check out something you might never have listened to before. It's all interesting. Tell a friend. We're always looking to grow the audience for our little community radio. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at Choose to Be Curious and Twitter. That's Choose Number Two, Letter B Curious. Sorry about that. Um, I've posted some great resources from Megan um, on Facebook if you're interested in learning more about today's topic. And don't forget to send us your windshield analogy or anti-analogy, hashtag analogy. A shout out to Michael who tweeted after the last show, Curiosity is like a bright red cardinal because it's seldom seen and always notable. I love it. Special thanks to our guest, Megan Price, and all of you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. It's a new year. I hope you'll choose to be curious. Baby, do you understand me now? Sometimes I feel a little mad. But don't you know that no one alive can always be an angel? When things go wrong, I seem to be bad. Sometimes it seems that all I have to do is worry And then you're bound to see my other side